0: Amen, amen, amen. Now, let's just get right with it. When he, when the writer, and again, as I shared last week, we don't uh, know who wrote the letter of Hebrews. Uh, I do believe it's in sermonic form. I think it was a long sermon that was written that was sent out uh, as a letter to Roman. Well, Christians, I believe that were in Rome is where I believe that they were they were suffering some persecution and some real challenges because of them leaving Judaism, becoming uh, born-again Christians following after Christ. There were some real challenges that they were facing. I addressed most of that last week. Loss of homes or not being able to engage in the community as effectively and uh, maybe even have had a great impact on their businesses, their their livelihood, and uh, maybe not at the time of the writing, but eventually we know that there was some lives lost just through the persecution. The writer in this first two or three verses, he, he kind of gives us a glimpse of two segments of history. He gives us a glimpse of the segment of history, which is the Old Testament age, the Old Covenant age, where we heard from the prophets. I would say that was the before Christ's heir. And then, we, and then he in that same sentence, talks about since Christ has come. And throughout the scriptures, whenever you read about the last days, we oftentimes think of time to come when the Lord will wrap everything up, all of God's plan and history will come to a close and we'll enter into a new era, a new age, a new heaven, a new earth. And, And all of that is still yet to come, obviously. But from the time that Christ came, Every day after that has been referred to as the last days. And so the writer of Hebrews tells us that in days of old, we heard from the prophets. And when he refers to that, he's talking about a message from the prophets that is for all of the people in all of the known world. It was the message of God to everyone who could hear it, who could receive it, who who were recipients of it a general message that referred to what God was doing in history, what God was doing in in just his economy of things, what God was doing in the nation of Israel and even nations that had rejected the Lord, what God wanted to do over a period of years, thousands of years, leading up to Christ and beyond, what God wanted to do all the way up into eternity. It's a little bit distinct from what we know and believe biblically of personal prophecy, as is spoken about in 1 Corinthians 14:3, where there are times even now where people may give you a something that personally encourages you and consoles you and uh, inspires you and upbuilds you, uh, affirms some things. Those are personal prophecies which we still believe the Lord uses people to do. But when He's talking about prophets of old, He's pr- primarily talking about. Uh, what was spoken to the people of God as a whole. What we call, again, during the time of the Old Testament and through the book of Hebrews, it'll actually be used, sometimes the term will be used, the Old Covenant. He said these prophets, um, and what we know is, they included some that didn't write. For example, Abraham, uh, I believe uh, Isaac, Jacob, all gave some prophetic messages of what the Lord was going to do. But then there was those that you know about that did write, that we read about their books. Moses wrote the first five books, certainly was prophetic, heard prophetic messages from God and and wrote. And then you know about Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. Uh, We have what we call the major prophets and then we have what's called the minor prophets. And if you was to call one of those fellows in person a minor prophet, you would insult them. Uh, because they had to go through the same process. They had to hear God, they had to pray, they had to know what God is saying. Unfortunately, we call them minor prophets because their books seem to be a little bit smaller. But I'm telling you, they had to go through some stuff to hear what God was saying and proclaim that to us. But, but you know, the writer also said this. He said we, they spoke through those prophets and again, we read many of them. But he also said that that was done in various ways, different manners. And when you read the, the books of the Old Testament, the prophetic books, you'll see how God did speak to them through various ways that he wanted to convey messages to us. And like, for example, Isaiah and Daniel, Ezekiel, he often gave them visions, and it was through those visions that they were to, to speak to us. We know that there was some like Ezekiel uh, and maybe even Daniel to some degree that God used object lessons in their life. Hosea was another one where God used uh, actually his marriage as an object lesson that God wanted to, to speak through. And, and then there was some that, that uh, received dreams. Jacob received dreams and, and declared what God's will was. There was Abraham and, and uh, Moses who God actually spoke personally to. And so they revealed to us what God wanted us to know. They they heard from God, whether through vi- visions, dreams, uh, personally, uh, hearing his voice. They would receive those things and let us as a people know what it is that God wanted us to know. And there, the scripture tells us they're to be trusted, they're to be believed, they're to be heard. As a matter of fact, when Peter wrote, just so people can affirm the fact, That even though at the time that Peter was writing, we were in a new age or a new covenant or a New Testament time, that what we heard from the prophets of old still means something from Genesis all the way to Malachi. Malachi is the last book that we have printed in our Bibles. I actually believe Joel was the, the last prophet, but Malachi was the one that we have printed in our Bible all the way from Genesis to Malachi. That what those men spoke, it is not to be ignored. It's not to be denied. He wrote this in, in uh, what we have in Second Peter 1. He says, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture come from someone's own interpretation. In other words, they weren't just writing. oftentimes you hear people say that was just man and man's ideas. That's not so. The word of God is the word of God. They heard from God and wrote as God spoke to them. He goes on to say, for no, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's an amazing verse, and, and just consider that for your life, that these men were submitted to the place that as the Spirit of God moved upon them. They were in such a place in such a posture where they knew that it was God speaking and they were able to write what God wrote. And I I don't want to go into a whole apology for the Bible, but it is fascinating that you had 40 different people who wrote and not one verse of the Bible contradicts. That can only happen by the move of the Spirit. So that's what he referred to when he says days of old. But then he talks about now, then was the prophets, but now we have the sun. Because there was, a, there was a transition period that came. As a matter of fact, after the last prophet prophesied, there was 400 years of what we call silence. Some people even call it the dark years, where there was no prophet given a prophetic word for 400 years. From the last prophet, whether you see it as Malachi or whether you see it as Joel, from that last writing of the prophetic word for 400 years, There was no prophet given a word until John the Baptist came. John the Baptist came because, uh, uh, sorry, in reference to prophecy concerning him, John the Baptist comes out and is the one that's making the way for the Lord, ushering in this New Testament era. It's because of John the Baptist that every one of us gets introduced to Jesus. Now, let me just say this as a little side note without going on a rabbit trail. None of you come to Jesus without a John the Baptist in your life. Somebody introduced you to Christ, whether it's a Bible study leader or a friend or a parent or a church service, a pastor, someone introduced you to Jesus. There is no Jesus without a John the Baptist. He sets the stage for us to receive what Christ has to say. And sure enough, John the Baptist comes and he was the prophet that was to prepare, prepare the way. One passage of scripture is is this. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And this was his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. It was John the Baptist that came declaring that Jesus was coming. We've been hearing about the Messiah. We've been preparing for the Messiah. We've been anticipating the Messiah. It was John the Baptist that came and said, repent for now the kingdom of God is at hand. Why is the kingdom of God at hand? Because here comes the Messiah that we've been looking for. Jesus even referred to John the Baptist. He said, when you went out to the wilderness, what did you go out to see, a prophet? He says, yes, I I tell you more than a prophet. This is the one of whom it was written of that says, behold, I send my messenger before your face and he will prepare the way for you. And so the writer of Hebrews is ushering on us into, he's taking us from the Old Testament where men heard from the prophets of old, the message of God, the true word, the right word that they were to live by and prepare them for this Messiah to come. And so the second segment of what he's talking about and what we're going to dive into in this book is that now long ago, many ways, God spoke to the fathers and the prophets, but then verse two goes on to say, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Now here's where, here's where it gets really exciting because what he dives into is letting us know, he's going to unpackage this just later on, but he lets us know who this Jesus is. He wants to make sure that we don't miss it. That Jesus, even though he talked about prophets of old, that Jesus is not just another prophet like you may hear the Muslims talk about. Jesus is more than a prophet. He's not just another prophet. He's not only the one that speaks to us concerning the final revelation of God and informs us of what God has for us and how God has prepared the way for us all to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He's not just telling us that Jesus is the one that informs us of our purpose and what God's intent was for mankind and how all of this is going to wrap up. He says further than that, that Jesus is the fullest revelation of God that there can be. There is no greater revelation of God than in Jesus. That's why Christianity is not built on a system of religions. It's built on a person. It's built on a savior. It's built on a Christ. It's built on a God, and that God's name is Jesus. Am I talking to the right church? And so the scripture tells us that Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. I love this passage, John chapter 1. Listen to this. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and don't miss this, and the Word was God. So in the beginning, we got the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse number 14 just breaks it on down even more. And the word who was in the beginning, who was with God, who was God, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father who is full of grace and truth and so the scriptures is real clear to us that because God loved mankind so much that he wanted to bring a complete and total revelation to us he did not want us to be people here on earth trying to learn from a God up in heaven he wanted us to know about that God in heaven but he wanted to bring that God right down to a personal relationship with us it's not us trying to reach up to God it's God coming down to us in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have seen his glory. We know that God is a spirit, the scripture says, and no man can see him at any time. But in this life of Christ, we can absolutely experience who God is it's Jesus who shows us the heart of God and the mind of God it's Jesus who comes and declares to us in greater understanding what it is that God wants us to know and what he wants us to say it's Jesus that reveals us the love of God and God's intent to restore us and God's intent to heal us and God's intent to save us that comes through Jesus am I talking to the right church there's no greater picture to me than on the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus takes up Peter, James, and John in Matthew 17, uh, chapter 17. He takes them up a little bit further. He's been dealing with his disciples, but he, he wanted to reveal himself a little bit more to them who would be obviously key people uh, in the church. They get up on the Mount Transfiguration. While Jesus is there, he transfigures himself where they see a radiance and a beauty and a brilliance of Jesus that they could not see, that they had not seen before. As a matter of fact, it was so striking and so radiant and so stunning that they had to fall, their face, their face went down to the ground. When they look up, they see Jesus speaking to Elijah and to Moses, who, by the way, has been off the scene for thousands of years before this time. But yet what they see, they see Jesus talking to Elijah and Moses, the Lord giving them an indication, I am eternal, just like they are eternal because of their belief in me. But Peter sees that and gets this bright idea and says, man, this is great. We're standing here before Jesus and we're standing here, but we're we're bowing down before the great Moses, who's the one that actually gave us the law. And we're bowed down before the great Elijah, who was the greatest of the prophets because of his miracles. So Peter's idea was, why don't we build three tabernacles? That's what we'll do. We'll build three places of worship because we're sitting here honoring three great." Men, And then there's a cloud that, that comes over them and a voice from heaven that says, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. What was God saying? If you want to know truth, if you want to know what's right, if you want to know who to worship, there's only one that you got to listen to and only one that you worship. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? And so the scripture tells us this. Peter, uh, sorry, the writer of Hebrew goes on to say I want to break down who this Jesus really is and he does that in these first three verses and I'm just going to run through these very quickly but I don't want you to miss them if you, if you want to take notes it would be a good time to take notes because he gives seven affirmations of who Christ is he lets us know he's not just God manifested in the flesh but so that you understand who he is he lets us know he's the heir of all things That all things belong to him. As a matter of fact, Psalm 2.8 says, I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. That all things belong to the Lord. And I'll deal with his kingship next week. The second thing he says is, he's the creator of the world. Listen to this, Colossians 1.15 and 16. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things that we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Watch this, talking about Jesus. Everything was created through him and for him. That makes him the creator of the world. Are y'all still with me? He says, he talks about the radiance of his glory. Watch this. This is John 1, 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son is himself God. He has revealed God to us. That's an amen moment right there. And then he talks about the representation of who God or who Jesus is. This is when Philip—actually, this is when Jesus is gathering with the disciples. He's telling them, you need to believe in me. If you believe in, the, in God, believe also in me. I'm preparing a place for you. In my Father's house is, is many mansions, and I'm going away to prepare a place for you. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then Philip's still grasping some of all this, that he's actually having an audience with God. He says, "He says, well, can you show us the Father? We, we, we may believe more in you if you can show us the Father. And Jesus said to him in verse number nine, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And Jesus is making it clear. If you see me, you've seen the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He's a sustainer of the world. Look at, listen to this. He existed before anything else and holds all creation Together Now, I could run all over it with this because I'm sitting here telling you, if this God who we serve can hold all of creation together, what makes you think he can't hold your marriage together? What makes you think he can't hold your finances together? What makes you think he can't hold your life together and your business together and your job together? What can this God not hold together for you if he can hold together the entire world? Can you say amen? He's a sustainer of the whole world. Verse six, you gotta love this one. He's the purifier of people's sins. Look at this. The scripture says when Jesus came out, time for his revelation party, his revealing party, he steps out. John the Baptist sees him and Jesus was coming toward him. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is the epitome of it all, that Jesus Christ came to take away our sins. Now, I I need you to follow me on this. I just told you he's sustainer of all of your life. And thank God we got a God that we can go to who can sustain everything. That's why we pray. That's why we're in relationship. That's why we're in communication with him. That's why we don't have to do life on our own, because we have a sustainer of the world. But can I tell you this? He can hold you together, but if you still got... Sin in your life, there's still a separation. But this Jesus doesn't just hold your life together. He says, I need to go one step further. I need to make sure we have a right relationship. So he says, I come to take away all the sins of the world. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, you don't know me. You don't know my life. You don't know what I did. No, I don't, and I don't need to. As a matter of fact, when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't even say, I'm going to take, take care of this for Tyrone. I'm going to take care of this for Virginia. Virginia, I'm going to take care of this for Jacob. When Jesus went to the cross, he made a declaration that he has the ability to take care of the sins for everybody. He didn't need to call no names because nobody was left out. And I ain't just talking about the sins that I've done in nine or at 19 or at 29 and in 39 and in 49, and that number keeps getting higher and higher because I keep getting older and older, but even 59 and 69 and 79, there is not one sin that the blood of Jesus cannot take care of and the more we realize that he is a purifier of all of our sins the more joy you will have in your salvation you won't be limited mentally you won't be limited emotionally you won't let the devil whoop your behind mentally and tell you you're not this and you can't do that and look what you've done all you got to do is refer to the blood of Jesus point to John 1930 and says it is finished am I talking to the right church He's a purifier. Here it is in Hebrews 2, 17. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, talking about Jesus in the flesh, as brothers and sisters, so he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer sacrifice that would take away the sins of all the people. I'll deal more with that high priesthood next week. Here's the a, here's a seventh thing. He's a majesty on high. Listen to this, 1 Timothy 1, 17 says, all honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. And all the people say, he alone is God. He alone is God. The majesty on high. That's who he is. Now here's the question. What are you going to do with him? If Jesus is all that, and I have no doubt he is, because the Bible tells me so, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I could go on and on. You don't want me to break out in a song. I'll have all y'all dancing in a heartbeat. But that, that's who he is. So what are you going to do with him? That's the question. I want to take you to two stories real quick, and we'll, we'll wrap this up. You may recall when Jesus was on earth and done all of those amazing things that Jesus did. open up blind eyes and opening up deaf ears and raising people from the dead, giving them great messages, proclamations of who he is, telling them about eternal life. Many people followed after him. Many people learned from him, many people received from him. But then there was a group of folks who just absolutely believed he was an imposter. They believed he was a liar. They believed, some of them even believed he was a lunatic, believed he was a sham. They didn't want to believe he was who he was primarily because he didn't come in the manner that they expected. They expected Jesus to come if he's really the Messiah, that he was going to liberate them from the Romans. He was going to lead great armies and restore the greatness of Israel. And all those religious leaders that was leading of that day, they were going to look like the real heroes who stood in the gap and and prepared the way for the Messiah coming, believing that there was a a, a great place of of high regard for them because they were the religious leaders of the day. When they couldn't stop what was going on with Jesus, they made a decision that they were going to have him done away with. They had already determined that they were going to reject him. And what these rejectors did was put together this sham trial where they had Jesus go before the high authorities and make up these things that supposedly they said he did or didn't do or what kind of authority he was taking that wasn't his. He went before the Jewish authorities and then before the Roman authorities. And each one of the steps, they kept declaring he's not who he says he is. He's, it's a sham, it's treason, all of those kind of things. Finally, he gets to a man by the name of Pilate. The reason he had to go to Pilate is because Pilate was the Roman authority in the region. And even though the Jewish courts could declare that Jesus was this imposter that they were making him up to be, they wanted him to be executed. And in that day and time, under the Romans, they did not have the authority to declare that there could be an execution of someone. It had to be done by the Roman leaders who was over the land at the time. Pilate was the one that was sitting in that position. So they go to Pilate and they let Pilate know, the religious leaders, we've declared him to be some false prophet, some man deserving of death. As a matter of fact, he's challenging the authority of Caesar, who was the the Roman leader, and he should be executed. They declare that he should be crucified. The scripture says that Pilate spent some time with Jesus and talked to him. And he came to the conclusion, this is actually in John 19, four. I'm bringing him out to you that you may know I find no guilt in him. He's innocent. I, I can't find any evidence of what you're saying. And some of you may recall his wife even had a dream and says, you better let this innocent man go because he's not, I've been troubled in my dreams if we do anything wrong to this man. But again, they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. They weren't going to accept anything other than crucifixion. Pilate once again talks to Jesus and says, they're saying these things about you, and I can't find any evidence, but, but who are you really? And, Pi- and Jesus lets Pilate know who he was, that he was the truth. And he says, are you the king of the Jews? He says, you said so. And so once again, Pilate is convinced that Jesus is not who they say he is. He brings him back out, and listen to this. This is verse 22 of Matthew 27. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. The question that Pilate asked them is the same question I'm going to ask to you. What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? If he's the sustainer of your life and the creator of the world and God manifested in the flesh and the only one that's died for your sins, the only one that can declare you righteous, the only one that has the ability to open up the opportunity of eternal life, if he is the one who's proven to us that he is love, he is gracious, and he is merciful, what are you gonna do with Jesus? Now you can, there's a few things you can do. You can do the very thing that they've done. You can reject him. You can reject Jesus out of pride and self-righteousness. Just not going to give in. Going to live according to your own right standards and your own manner and let your own pride determine, I'm just going to live this way. All that stuff that that brother up there hollering about, that don't mean nothing to me. I'm just going to live this way and you can reject him. Well, you can reject him because you don't believe he is all that he is. And so you don't want him. And you don't need them. You can reject them on those terms. You can reject them because you think you're better off. The life you've made for yourself is a whole lot better than what he can do for you. Instead of becoming who he created to be, you cre- he created you to be, you come to the conclusion you're just fine becoming who you are now. Or you can reject him because you have no concerns or no thoughts about eternity. You can reject him, but can I ask you this? Is that your final answer? Is that your final answer? That you're gonna reject Jesus because of pride or self-righteousness or because you believe you can get life done better without him? He's the sustainer of the world, but you got this. He created everything, but you got it. He's the one that's shown you love and mercy and grace, but I, I can do without that. He's the one that said he's forgiven all of your sins. He's died on the cross to forgive your sins. And you said, I, I'll keep my sins. Is that your final answer? Let me just take you to one more story and I'll, I'll wrap this up. Because you see, those fellows that holler, crucify Jesus, they got a rude awakening, those religious leaders. Y'all all right if I just talk to you for a little bit? Y'all, y'all getting something out of this? I, I'm, I'm gonna finish in just a minute. Got a roast cooking at home. But uh, but, the... But, uh, Those fellas who said that they wanted to crucify him, they got a rude awakening because he did get crucified. They went on and crucified him. But something happened that they didn't expect. Three days later, he rose. (laughs) Three days later, he resurrected. You see, they were fixed on rejecting him, but three days later, he resurrected. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus gets with his disciples. He tells them, listen, you see me, I'm resurrected, but now I'm ready to pour out my spirit upon all flesh and people everywhere going to know who I am. He says, I want you to go to Jerusalem and you wait right there. There they go to Jerusalem. Ten days after Jesus had ascended, the power of the Holy Spirit falls upon the place. People are hearing other people speaking other tongues and giving the message of God, and signs and wonders are happening. And those same folks that are rejecting him, that rejected him, are standing there in the courtyards of Jerusalem, the same ones. And then Peter stands up there, asking, "What's going on? What's going on?" And Peter says to them, "Listen, this is the Jesus that we told you about. This is the Jesus who you rejected." This is a Jesus whom you crucified. He rose again, just like he promised. And then Peter says, I need to let you know this Jesus whom you rejected is now Lord and Christ. Lord and Christ. Well, something hit them because they said, oh, can we change our answer? Can we change our answer? They said, if this is true, then what must we do? Now, I'm going to tell you what you got to do, because I'm going to believe that you ain't going to leave here with your final answer that Jesus, you're going to reject him. I'm going to believe that's not your final answer. Because when they said, what must we do? Peter said, listen, it's real simple. You just got to repent. You just got to turn from the way you was believing, turn from that rejection, turn from that mindset, turn from that place of where you thought that was your final answer and turn to the real answer. The real answer being Jesus. Confess him as Lord and Savior. Be baptized in water and watch him fill you with the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says. If you do that, you're going to save yourself from this crooked generation. I don't need to say no more. You can stand up. What's your final answer? What's your final answer? There is no other that we can turn to but him. Prayer team, you can come. just going to say a prayer just one prayer is needed today and that that there's a revelation of jesus to y'all and we'll we'll see who today wants to make that answer every head bowed, and every eye closed. father it's 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 good to know jesus it's good to know him we thank you for the revelation of who he is you've made it clear to us you made it evident it's evident in the scripture but it's evident in our life experiences that there is no other Savior. There is no other. He's not just a prophet. He's the Almighty God. And Lord, today I pray, no matter who was sitting here and might have had an answer already in their head, might have came in here with the mindset to reject or maybe been living a life of rejection, I pray, Lord God, that their final answer today becomes that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior Lord let it be done let it be done while your head is bowed and eyes are closed I just want to ask real quick if you're here and you haven't made that commitment to Jesus you haven't haven't decided that you're going to accept him as Lord and Savior and you want to do that today I'm just going to count to three give you an opportunity to work through this in your head and your heart I know the the Spirit of God is working in you you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to feel like, you know, you're some outsider or, or, you know, this is weird. Listen, we all we all had to come to the place to make a decision for Jesus. And you're in a safe place. You're in a place of people who love you. Nothing weird about this. Nothing strange about this. We're not even going to make a uh, make a big spectacle of you. We're going to celebrate you. We're going to celebrate you. But this is really about you and the Lord and what he's doing in your life and how you want to respond to that. So uh, I'm going to make it on the count of three. If you want to make a commitment to give your life to Jesus Christ today for the first time, I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand. We're going to pray for you and give you some direction on the count of three. One, two, three. Just lift your hand if you say, I want to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. God bless you. God bless you, young lady. God bless you, man. Hallelujah. We celebrate it. We celebrate you. We thank you. I'm going to give you some instructions. There's a connect card in front of you that they talked about earlier. You can take that connect card and go out to the next steps uh, table out in the breezeway. Or I even encourage you to come and pray with one of these dear people at the altar. We're going to pray now. The altar is going to be open because we want to pray for you for whatever reason whatever other reason, it may be prayer for healing it may be prayer for baptism of the Holy Spirit maybe you want to get baptized, you've given your life to Christ, you can do that at the connect table and let somebody know you may have an issue in your life, you want to connect with someone, the altars are open we want to connect with you with the Jesus that we know is real and whatever that need is, I'm telling you he'll be real in your life Father we thank you for this opportunity we have to worship you and to magnify your holy name You are a glorious God and glorious Savior. We love you. Thank you for being so good to us. For those, Lord God, who've made that commitment of faith, Lord God, you work it from here. You help them from here. Help them to grow from here. Get to the next steps. Those that are coming for prayer, let the ministry of the word and the spirit be so good to them and so gracious that you be glorified. Father, take us from here to our various places. Lord, uh, as people go to their homes or gather with other people, let it be a good and glorious day. Lord, prepare hearts and minds. Lord, as we look forward to the next service and ministering the love of God to those that come. It's in Christ's name that we pray. May the people of God say amen. God bless you. Have a good morning.